This episode of Funny and Handsome Guys is brought to you by Centers of Attention Studios. Email us your thoughts at fhgpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Twitter handle at fhgpodcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Funny and Handsome Guys. My name is Chris, with me as always, we got Kevin and we got Reggie. Say hi. Hey, I'm Kevin. Fellas. Hey, I'm not Kevin. Boom, just like that. <laughs> uh, so we got a, a great show for you guys lined up today. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing a little sort of general topic discussion before we get into some of the more meat and potatoes stuff, but later on in the show we'll be talking about Local H's brand new album hallelujah i'm a bum uh that'll be an interesting discussion our top five list this week is going to be our top five underrated slash uh underseen movies of 2012 so far so should be some interesting stuff on that list at the very least uh but to start off today uh we're gonna sort of just do a couple couple different topics let's start with the fact that there is going to be, in 2013, a nationwide, a worldwide horror, in the sense, bacon shortage. I, I don't know what to say, guys. It's tragic. It really is. I'm concerned for our nation's well-being. Uh, here, here's my thing. Is bacon played out? Because I'm, I'm thinking it may be played out. I think it's 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 it's... It's hit its peak. People are like, okay, yeah, I get it, bacon. And now it's coming back down, and people are like, you know what? I got something else. Prosciutto. Just for saying that, Harley Morenstein is going to drive down from Canada, not even fly. He'll probably just walk. And he's going to come to your house, <clears throat> knock on knock on your door. And as soon as you answer it, he's just going to slap you as hard as he possibly can. Oh, man. No, I love bacon. I love it. Um, I've had a, a bacon chocolate martini before, and, and that's dedication. Bacon is really good in anything. Can, can you name something that bacon is not good with? Peanut butter? I'd still eat that. I'd still eat that. Yeah. I probably would eat that, too. I, who am I kidding? You know what's what's uh you know a, a total fallacy though Canadian bacon what's that shit it's it's not it's not bacon it's round ham yep basically I, I feel ripped off whenever I buy it I'm like why did I buy this why did why did I think this was gonna be good yeah why why would you buy it in the first place when you know what it is well well I, I think that's funny too because on Epic Meal Time. They are very much Canadian, and they the bacon they use is like bacon bacon. Well, actually, here, here's the thing. I, I enjoy my bacon. Uh, and I actually do like traditional Canadian bacon. But this is uh, back fat bacon, and it is a very different thing. It's uh, thick. It's like it, – it's just it's, – it's, it's just a uh, uh, – a better, like, just heartier or bacon. And then uh, Oscar Mayer is like, you know what? We can sort of fake it with cheap, thin slices of ham. 
Which, I mean, I love ham. Who doesn't love ham? It's the same animal. But it's not the same um, caliber of quality. You know? That's true. It's it's like, um, <clears throat> you know, if, if you want to watch a Kevin Smith movie, you, you put on your Clerks 1 or your Dogma, and not so much your Jersey Girl, even though I love Jersey Girl. That's not the one that you sit down to. So, so in a sense, um, if 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 this is all the pig, so to speak, the the bacon is is just like the the I candy. You know, people have called bacon the candy of meats. Um, you know, you got like the the candy strips, so to speak, and then you just kind of have like, uh, well, there's this too. You know, like if if you have a choice of candy and this too. I'd say nine times out of ten, you're probably going to go for the candy. I would take both. Is that an option? Both? Like, <laughs> bacon-wrapped ham? I'd be down with that. I, uh, I, I, just moments before we started this, uh, this episode, I actually, one of, uh, my friends posted on Facebook here, um, talking about his, uh, his, his phone actually has entered McGangbang as a uh, predictive text. Now, if you don't know what the McGangbang is, McGangbang is just, it's a ridiculous sandwich uh, at McDonald's. It's not on any official uh, um, menu. And I actually, I've I've done this. I've I've done this and and lived to tell the tale. I, uh, it's, it's a, Something I, I I went up to the uh, the mall uh, McDonald's once, and uh, I told him I was like, okay, don't laugh at me when I order this, but I want a McGangbang. And they looked at me and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I want <laughs> a McChicken sandwich inside a double cheeseburger. I mean, it's it's Ooh. it's the full chicken sandwich inside a double cheeseburger. That's that's uh, bun and all. And and I've done this. And uh, how was it? Eh, you know, I would I would do it again. Maybe once a year, I, I would do it. it. It's it's got its it's got its perks. But I mean, there you so, go. You got uh, chicken and and cheeseburgers living in harmony. Why can't uh, Ham and bacon. I mean, they're brothers almost. Uh, have you ever uh, had the? I think it's the number seventeen at Jimmy John's. It's it's called the Porker. I, I it's the ultimate Porker. The ultimate Porker. Yeah, ham and bacon together that, in a sandwich. That works. That works. I I worked at Jimmy John's once. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Chris. I don't remember if I. We were living together at the time. Oh yeah, in college I recall. and. Um, the uh, the owner of Jimmy John's, uh, Jimmy John himself, owned this particular branch, and he would come in occasionally. But that's another story. We had this one guy come in, and he wanted the gargantuan, the JJ gargantuan, which is every meat on the menu, but he wanted it double meat. <laughs> yeah, this thing, like you could not, you could not. Usually you got the wedge cut there, and, and you, you, you get it in there, and it's sort of at a, I don't know, 45-degree angle with the uh, 
bread on on the wedge, holding the meat down. The gargantuan's a little bit closer to, I don't know, 80, maybe 90 degree wedge. Like it's it's getting a little unwieldy. The the double meat gargantuan was at 120 degrees of of a wedge. Like it it was just it was it was not. Not something I would recommend for portable uh, eating. That's an obtuse you, you sandwich. Really, yeah, you can't close it. You can't. It's how are you supposed to wrap your hands around it? I don't. I don't understand it. Well, some people. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, foods that go together, uh, Reggie. Just before we started this up, he, you were telling us uh, never to, never to to trust anybody who. Um, does a beer float, not a root beer float, a beer float. Explain this. Okay. It's, it's the same concept as a root beer float, except that instead of root beer, you have actual beer. Um, now, now, okay. I've, I've had root or I've had actual beer milkshakes. Um, but this is the difference with, with what you had. You had a beer float with Miller beer. Yeah. Why? Why would you do that? I... <laughs> because I trust the person that told me to do it. And he he seems to be a connoisseur of alcoholic treats. And now, so... I'll... Right now, uh, uh, Red Robin's got a uh, Oktoberfest beer shake. And it's excellent. I I highly recommend it. It's it's an Oktoberfest beer blended with some vanilla ice cream and some caramel, and it's delicious. Um, Red Red Robin serves beer. Yes, Red Robin does serve beer. I did not know that. They serve uh, Sam Adams products. Oh. Um, on a side note, I have a joke with Caitlin that the guy who. Uh, the guy who's Samuel Adams for the ads that at night he cries himself to sleep. <laughs> if this is the culmination of your life to play Sam Adams and speaking of which, uh, the actual thing that we were going to talk about to this week, um, we're going to talk about jobs and, uh, we're, we're all at different areas in our, our careers. And, um, you know, I've, uh, been working for this this company that I started working with um, for about I've been working there for about six months now and actually this morning I'm I'm a little tired today because uh, I had to go in for a certification exam at 7 a.m. and just just so I could uh, not keep my job but you know be able to do anything with my job really. Um, Make sure you're properly certified yes. for to to be able to do your job. Yes, um, and not everybody there in my position is has got this certification or is going to go for it. But if I want to be able to like do anything with this cr- this position in the long run, like I have to have to be certified. But um, but I've been I've been working here for about six months after bouncing around in different temp jobs, and before that I worked for an evil unholy bank, um, which will remain nameless. But, uh, so, so I'm, I'm in a, a, a little bit of a different spot than, than you two gentlemen. Um, 
Chris, you've been looking for a little bit of time here, and uh, I just heard some good news. You uh, you finally found something solid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've been unemployed for the last about eight months or so, uh, which is not a good amount of time to be unemployed for. Most people would argue. Uh, I don't think any for... time of un- <laughs> unemployment's a good time. That that is true. Uh, that being said, though, I, I have enjoyed being unemployed. It's fun employment for me in some ways. But, you know, at some point you really do got to get back to work. And I was lucky enough to be offered a job uh, earlier this week. Uh, I'm moving my, my previous job. I was working in TV, doing stuff uh, in newsrooms, putting my journalism degree to, to good use and I am sort of going to continue to put my journalism degree to good use. Uh, I'm going to be doing public relations and media relations uh, for a PR firm called Cushman Amberg. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a different change of pace for me. More nine to five, more, you know, uh, sort of the other side of the coin in, in journalism terms because when I was working in TV, I would take pitches all day long on the phone from various different public relations and media relations people saying, oh, I've got, you know, I've got this great, you know, story that you should cover. And now I'm going to be the one calling up TV stations going, hey, I got this great thing you should cover. So it, it's going to be interesting, I hope, and something that I'll be able to do for a while uh, and hopefully uh, turn into something better than than where tv first led me i guess it's exciting i i mean i know me like i i because i did a bunch of temp jobs i had uh, a string of new jobs you know it is never a a bad thing necessarily when one ended just because you know it was a temp job and you kind of expected it um, but you sort of get uh, through a process where each one is a brings a new thing, and it's always really exciting to to start up a a new job. And it's a little bit scary, so I don't I don't know if you've experienced this yet. Um, just sort of not knowing what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, yeah, I I can totally understand that. I'm I'm not entirely sure what my duties are going to entail just yet, but I I know that it sounds interesting and and the agency that I'm working for is a virtual agency, which is sort of a rarity in the sense of they don't have an office. So everyone that works for the company works out of their house. So I'll get to work out of my house, which will be nice. In a sense, I'll roll out of bed every morning and uh, get get right to work. I'll be at work already. See, um, you guys should have joined the army because I remember there was that commercial where the guy starts a new job and like the supervisor or whatever is like, huh, oh, you think you're ready for this? And the guy's like, oh, it can't be can't be worse than my last job. And then it shows like flashback to him, like jumping out of helicopters and like kicking bin Laden in the face and stuff. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you guys, I mean, if you, if you just would have joined the army, then no job would seem intimidating. That's true. 
I, you know, that's, that's definitely one way to look at it. I, I'll be honest, you know, I left a, uh, a permanent job at the bank and I left that for a, uh, a temporary job, which not many people would do, you know, and they're like, well, you've got a permanent job. Why would you leave it? And I mean, it was a bank. It was, there were constantly rumors of them downsizing. I didn't want to like wait around and find out that one day I didn't have a job. So, you know, I, I went out and applied at a temp agency. And so it, it's definitely like exciting. I, I use actually was in uh, ROTC when I was in college, Reg, um, which would probably have been the worst job if I had taken any of them. Yeah, I, I remember you talking about it back in the day. Yes, way back in the day. Reggie, how about you? What's your? I'm 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 kind of in between jobs. Um, <clears throat> I don't I don't want to incriminate myself. Of course, but uh, maybe maybe or maybe not. There 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 may or may not be little to no fucks left to give <laughs> on my end. Here's a basket or, of fucks. Uh, uh, it's empty. My my give a fuck meter is 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 definitely running very low, and um, I'm you know I'm I'm just trying to just trying to keep a roof over my head, you know. It, it's so. tough. I mean, it's it's a tough economy right now. I mean, Chris, you were saying that you've been out of a job for close to eight months, and I mean, I was in a temp position of of one sort or another for close to eight months. And that, those are stressful just because you never know when they're going to end. You never know, you know, you don't have any sort of stability with them. I, I was lucky to have some sort of employment, but they're also scary just because you never know when it's going to be like, and, and there are a couple of periods where it's like, I don't, I'm, I'm in between uh, assignments and that's, that's scary and not an ideal position, but that's sort of where we all, came out into the world. I mean, we all uh, graduated college and got out into the world and the economy just sort of shit itself. Yeah, and and I mean, most people, when they get out of college, I don't think have a job already lined up for them. I mean, I know that it it was more common uh, in the early 2000s, um, right around when we were getting out into college, it was more common for college graduates to have something lined up. Um, I think a lot of college graduates still would, would take some time to like sort of do their, you know, stereotypical backpack Europe thing or whatever. But uh, it was a lot easier to find a job and be like, this is where I'm going to be working for at least a little bit of time and then I can build myself up from here. But we didn't really get that chance. You know, I knew that's true. Yeah. I knew several people who actually graduated about the same time we did and, um, or, or before, and they had just started to build themselves up a little bit. And all of a sudden the economy crashed and they were out of a job. And so they were they, they had to start over basically and they had to compete against people who were even more experienced than them, who were fighting for lower paying jobs and jobs that required less experience, th- 
though they had more experience. It was definitely, uh, it's definitely been a challenging few years at, at least. And I'm glad that I've actually been able to work for most of that time. Uh, you know, when I first graduated from college, I had to take a couple internships, unpaid internships, just to sort of get some more experience under my belt, uh, which ultimately helped me out in getting my first job. But still, I mean, it, it's gotten a lot tougher out there. And, and I mean, especially if you want to find something in the field that you're interested in. I'm I'm definitely not in a field that I'm... I like my job, so I'm not, like, unhappy or anything like that. But it's not what I would call the field of my dreams, you know? It's not something that when I was in college, I was like, yes, that's the job, that's the field, that's the industry that I want to be in. You know, Kevin, if if you had built it, then then they would have come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the field of your dreams. I get it. I was I was called Kevin Costner today. Somebody was like, "Oh, you're like Kevin Costner." I'm like, "No, no, I'm not anything like him." Nice. Uh, so, can, can we talk about people who who are now out of jobs? Probably are are the replacement refs in the NFL. Yes, they they've come to terms. They've they've set a new deal. The refs are returning regular refs. Uh, but of course, most of that, I imagine the added pressure really hit them after that Monday night football game that happened recently. Yeah. The, uh, Packers game that was quite the disgrace because of a couple bad calls that ultimately you, you could argue that the, the final bad call of the night really cost them the game though you know i I didn't see the game i i saw some highlights though and and i wasn't positive that they would have won it one way or another um but it definitely swayed in their favor against them you know out of their favor because of some bad calls by some refs i am i'm biting my lip right now because let let me know. I no, did tell watch me. the game. You did okay. You have more more uh, expertise on this than I do. So let me know what what I have got wrong. All right, all right. Here's the thing. Netflix has these awesome ESPN documentaries. Thirty by thirty. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, thirty for thirty. Um, like I watched. Uh, there's one about uh, uh, Jordan playing in uh, uh, playing minor league baseball. Um, there's, there's one about, uh, oh God, what's his name? The, the guy, the Cubs fan who caught the ball. Oh, um, Bartman. Bart, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was one about him. What happened on Monday night? That is a 30 for 30 waiting for happen, waiting to happen because it, it was, it was a train wreck. It was, it was, it was horrible. Um, it's, it's the fourth quarter and like, I'm already like, on edge because I hate the Seahawks. I'm sorry. Like I just, I just, I don't, who, I don't like the Seahawks. Them? I don't, I don't know who goes. I'm a Seahawks fan. I, I know a few of them. I know a few of them. And if they're listening, like, no offense, you guys, but fuck the Seahawks. <laughs> um, and that was before Monday night. Like after Monday night, it's it's 
double fuck the Seahawks. Um, but they, it, they, they, okay, there were bad calls. There were there were a series of bad calls throughout the night. But it was just kind of like you you rolled your eyes and like ah oh, fucking replacement refs. Um, there was the final the final play of the game. They threw a hail mary to get it in. You know just just to score the, the Seahawks do. The receiver in the end zone, I think his name was like Golden Tate or some stupid shit like that. He he first of all he pushes off on one of the Packers and then goes up for the catch. Um, w. D. Jennings from the, not not Greg Jennings, the the one the awesome guy, but but this other this other Jennings on the Packers, you can clearly see him wrap his hands around the ball, and then the the Tate guy kind of gets his hands around it, like like kind of at the same time, but not quite, and then they go down, and then they're like you know wrestling for it or whatever, and right away the refs run up, like two different refs. One of them signals a touchdown, the other the other signals that the catch was no good. So then they uh, they review it and um, I can't remember the exact points, but it was like it was like a five point differential. So a touchdown would obviously sway the favor of the game. Um, so after it's clearly an interception, they rule it as a touchdown. Oh, Yeah, I saw the final uh, call, and it it was it was wrong. It was ridiculous. I saw the the guy bring it down and just be like, "Wait, you're you're really gonna make that ruling?" And so I definitely understand. And and of course, like it's called caused this huge hubbub and uh, a couple. Um, gambling websites even have refunded their bets uh, to all their customers who, who bet on that game because it was so marred by the, the refs. Honestly, what, what, what amused me, well, what, what amuses me in general is I, I've really enjoyed having the replacement refs and I'll tell you why purely for amusement purposes. Now, you could say, "Oh, they're ruining the game. They they ruined the game of football when they were in there. They made a bunch of bad calls." But for me personally, I was looking forward to bad calls. I was looking forward to You knew it was going to happen. Yeah, you knew it was going to happen. I was looking forward to them looking clueless and making mistakes and and that sort of stuff, not necessarily because I was hoping that it would lead to a quicker settlement with the regular refs, but more that I was just, in general, saying, man, the game of football is going to get screwed up, and it is going to be funny. (laughs) For the most part, it has been, but when you get down to a call like what happened in that Monday night game, it's sort of that the hilarity of it, while, while I did find that kind of funny... It also kind of, you know, it ruins games in some aspects, uh, especially when it comes down to the wire like that, and it changes, radically changes the scope of a game. Not funny at all, by the way. Not funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so, are, ha- have we exhausted our thoughts on the replacement refs? Yeah, I think I, so. I don't have. Yeah. I, I don't want. I see. I don't want to talk about it too much because then I'm just going to rage. Yeah, but happy that they're back. It's interesting because I heard a, a theory that the reason that 
the NFL was so dead set against like reasoning with the refs was that if they gave in to the refs, then the players would have even more of a leverage uh, against them. And I don't think anybody would really argue that a lot of those players are probably overpaid. Um, but I mean, at the same time, like, it's interesting. I, I, I just found it really interesting that even Paul Ryan uh, came out uh, and Scott Walker, of all people, were like, why? They, they need to get those refs back. Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, and Paul Paul Ryan actually equated replacement refs to, to President Obama. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. He was like, oh, if you think those calls, you know, the replacement refs are, are making are bad, you know, the calls of our president are also bad, too. They're, you know, they're screwing up our country, just like those refs screwed up the game of football. Oh, jeez. No yeah, sense of because, irony. you know, unions are horrible. Who needs unions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so, wrapping that up. Uh, and, and sort of in, keeping in the theme in a sense, because now now that the replacement refs are essentially unemployed, we're going to be talking about an album called Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. Album of the Week. Well, even, even better. I mean, I think this is a great transition because we, we, we sort of, we're talking about the political implications and this is a, a political album. Like, yes. Uh, local H we're talking about, by the way, local H, uh, Chicago band, longtime Chicago band, alternative rock, uh, Kevin, your favorite band. Yes. Uh, I think you could say that Reggie, would you say that, that this is my I'd, favorite band? I'd say that it's a band that you enjoy very much. <laughs> I've never heard you talk about any other bands the way you talk about Local H, but I may, <laughs> maybe like, um, maybe you just really like Aqua, and you Aqua's never come up in conversation. Um, like of all the talked. bands, you chose Aqua uh, because yeah. I do have a secret. No, no, I really don't. Well, I mean, Aqua was an enjoyable b- band slash group at one point. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe. But anyway, long story short, I've never heard you talk about any other band the way you've talked about Local Age. Well, so. okay, I, I, I'll say this. The the band is from my hometown, so I get a lot of, um, or I have in the past, like people are like, oh, you, you only really like them because they're from your hometown. And I, I disagree with that. I think that I would probably like them no matter where they're from. Hallelujah, I'm a Bum is... Uh, their latest. They haven't released a, an album since I believe 2008, uh, which is when they released um, 12 Angry Months. 12 Angry Months, yes, thank you, which was their last feature length album like of new music. They have released two albums since then. Uh, they, they released uh, The Island Years, which was a best of, and uh, they released. They did a, a cover band, a cover album. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Local H's Awesome Mixtape, um, which featured some 
pretty fantastic uh, uh, covers. They they had a, a cover of Time by um, Pink Floyd. They did uh, Wolf Like Me by TV on the Radio. They did Joey nice. by Concrete Blonde. Um, they did uh, Last Caress by The Misfits. So, yeah, they've been producing since their last album in 2008. It just hasn't really been on a very visual, you know, a very high, uh, highly visual, uh, uh, level, you know. And, and Scott Lucas has his other project too. Right. He also has Scott Lucas and the married men, um, which it, he re- describes as a chamber rock, uh, band. And they're sort of a country folksy band, um, that, that graces the edges of rock. Um, but it's, it's, Supposedly his his solo effort, but it really only local H only Scott Lucas would have a solo effort that has more members in that band than his actual band. Um, and that's the other thing about local H that's it's typically it, it, it's actually just a two man band. It's Scott Lucas and Brian St Clair, who is uh, the drummer for the band Triple Fast Action back in the day. He's also was the drum tech for uh, Cheap Trick, the other hardest working band in rock and roll, the and and also one of the foremost Midwest bands. Um so you see a lot of parallels between them and local age, I think. So they've got they've got a lot out there. Um most people though only know them for for a song they did back in the nineties, as good as or um they did uh As Good as Dead. Uh which had the song Bound for the Floor on it, which was the song everybody knew as the Keep It Copacetic song. I was just going to ask, is that the Keep It Copacetic song? That is funny. Yeah, that is the Keep It Copacetic Copacetic song. Um, So they've been producing for a while. Nothing's really, like, ever matched that visibility as uh, Bound for the Floor. Um, Pack Up the Cats was supposed to sort of put them into the stratosphere as far as rock bands go but they were sort of shuffled around because of a an album label buyout and they were never really given the promotions that uh they were sort of lined up for but so here we are hallelujah i'm a bum um i'm not going to uh uh give my take on it because i i'm obviously biased um so reggie you i don't think have a a huge experience with them i would love to hear what you think about this album first um i liked a lot about it actually um i think that the songs were varied enough um i know there was the whole i know kevin you said there was a a political undertones i I really i didn't pick up on that i only listened through it once um but i i heard a lot that i liked i liked that some of the some of the tracks um, even though they'd go from one to the next, it kind of, it was like one solid sound. It was like one, almost like one piece with, with different movements. And then just happened to be different tracks. And that's really cool. You don't see, you don't see enough of that. Like I can tell it was concepty, but like not in a, in a really off-putting way. Like it, it flowed very nicely. Um, then there was, uh, there was some stuff with horns too, which I kind of appreciated just because, I mean, not that, well, because it, they have like the, you know, the, the white stripes 
Japandroids-esque setup. And not that that, that makes it sound empty, because I, I feel like it sound, sounded very full in a lot of the songs, but like just having the, the horns kind of added a, a new edge to some of the songs. Like, I really liked, um, what is it, uh, Trash, Trash Fire Bummers, is that the name of the song? Trash Fire Bummers? Yep. Yeah, that one, that one I liked a lot. I thought it was really cool. It's, it's very, like, short, fast, and loud, um, but the, it definitely kind of gave it, I, I don't want to say, like, a real Big Fish kind of feel, because it was, it was very different from a Big Fish, but just like a, uh, that was like the only band I can think of that has that, that kind of energy with horns. Yeah. What about you, Chris? How did you feel? Uh, you know, before I get my thoughts, let's actually listen to a song from the album. Doors closing. So that was Blue Line from Local H off their album, Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. And, you know, we, we sort of started this discussion uh, by talking a little bit about how this album is political. And it is, you know, the, the last Local H record was all about a breakup, you know, 12 Angry Months. Local H kind of does the, the thematics uh, with a lot of their records at least their most recent ones. And so the to tackle politics in this one, I think, is interesting and good because Scott Lucas so often it makes such personal music, talking about his own, you know, experiences and things like that. And to have them tackle politics is less personal. But I also think it proves their diversity in a sense. It, it enables them to explore some different ideas and themes and that's important especially for a band that's been around as long as they have uh you know this thing is 17 tracks long 70 minutes it was uh, i believe originally supposed to be a double album yeah it, it can kind of feel like that especially you know there's sort of a separation right around cold and mannered uh right before Cold and Mannered and Trash Fire Bummers sort of feel like a, a separation in a sense. Yeah, and, I noticed that too. And I think that's in part, if you look at, uh, it goes, uh, it starts off with Waves, which is just sort of a really short song, goes into Cold Manor, and then what winds up happening is sort of as a wrap-up to Side 1 or Disc 1 or whatever you like, Cold and Mannered, which is a different track, uh, as track eight sort of wraps that up and ties it back together 
bringing in the same sort of melody and and themes. Uh, so that's sort of the way that that balances off one another. And then, you know, you've got, again, Blue Line, this chorus to that shows up in, in Trash Fire Bummers. So there there's sort of a cyclical nature to parts of this record, which is nice, I think, and speaks to its wholeness and the, necess- the need to digest all of it as one solid piece of music which I think is important to do at least one time. Granted, there are highlights. You will find certainly plenty of highlights. They Saved Reagan's Brain, Another February is a song that I also really like. Limit Your Change and and Patty Considine are also big ones for me. And for those concerned that this is another record that, you know, because it talks about politics, that it's very pro-democrat i would say that it is sort of even-handed in its scolding of both parties uh you know a song like they saved reagan's brain is very anti-conservative but then at the very end you have waves again which you know scott lucas sings about your superman says yes we can and, and sort of, but all we are is scenes of sands of gra- uh, grains of sand. Yes, yes. Uh, sort of a, as a little half insult to, to President Obama there. So it's sort of even headed. It basically says all politics and it is kind of nuts and corrupt and bad in general. Uh, not that it's necessarily saying that you know. No politics is better than some politics, but it's sort of saying there's a toxic atmosphere when you get into politics. And that's sort of what the album, it's very grimy, it's very heavy, and it's also very good. Uh, It is one of my favorite Local age records, and I've only listened to it a handful of times. But it has grown to be something that I feel is one of their best and better than their last one, 12 Angry Months, better than anything that they've done probably in the last decade. I think this is a proud moment for Local H. It's very adult. It's very, it's for people that have at any time in their life, I think like Local H, I think they need to hear this record because it's, it's remarkably good. Uh, better, Better than I expected. I'm very happy to hear you say that. Um, I, I remember we actually reviewed the last one on our previous uh, podcast um, way back in the day. We we listened to 12 Angry Months, and uh, we reviewed that one when that came out. And at the same time, I, I'll say that I, I really like that album, um, and it's it's one of my favorite albums of theirs. Um and then there's this one, and I was I was really hesitant. I've really enjoyed what they've been doing with, uh, or what Scott Lucas has been doing with uh, the the Married Men. It's it's very different from what he normally does, and you can actually get sort of a, a glimpse of that with um, the track. Uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, Look who's walking on four legs again. Um, which is actually performed by Scott Lucas and the Married Men. It's not a local H song. It's kind of this solo effort in the middle of, you know, as an oasis in the middle of his album. Um, 
it's an interesting album. You know, he, he's described it as a album with a, an expiration date because it does deal so heavily with the politics. Um, Chris, do you think this has a, an expiration date? I don't know. I mean, there are clips of Mitt Romney in there. Yeah, that... but there are, there are also clips of, of Reagan. I think it's it's a pretty timeless uh, uh, message of, you know, politics being screwed up and, and like, sort of a, you know, it's it's very defining of our, our age. You know, a lot of people are disillusioned with Obama, and he, there, there were a lot of there was a lot of hope when he came into office and it's, it's not the same as when he was first uh, uh, running for office. So it's, it's the very honeymoon's over, so to speak. Yeah. The honeymoon is over. So, so here we are and we've been sort of disillusioned and this album sort of encapsulates that it's, it's interesting, you know, as, as you know, he, he's, he's dealt with political satire before he, he did, um, President Forever, uh, back on the No Fun EP, um, which is a short little, uh, very stripped down sort of, uh, uh, back to the roots of punk EP that they did a few years back. Uh, President Forever was very, very, very blatantly about George Bush. Um, and, uh, it's not, it's not like the most delicate satire. This is not the most uh, uh, complex and nuanced satire. This is uh, pretty blunt. It's it's ca- set, uh, satirical with a capital S. You know, it's, it's delivered by the blunt end of an axe type of satire here. And and that's the same with a lot of instances in this. There There is a nuance. There is definitely nuance throughout this, especially um, you've got the song, uh, They Saved Reagan's Brain, which is... I, I saw one site describe it as the best song about trickle-down economics ever, um, which, you know, I, I don't think they got too much uh, competition there, but it's a pretty solid song, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely different and, and more mature than some of their, their previous stuff. Um, some people may be burning out a little bit on the the, the concept album aspects of of their last couple feature length albums but i mean local h has always had concept albums you know as good as dead it was a concept album uh pack up the cats was a concept album um 12 angry months was a concept album you could say here comes the zoo and whatever happened to pj souls were both concept albums in their own way as well they both had like highly overriding you know themes that that fed into them this one is a little bit more controlled and much more like consistent they've got some of the same musical uh uh, motifs weaving in and out of this entire album um and there's definitely parts which aren't uh, uh political in nature so i mean it's not all politics but it's definitely sort of a midwest take on on what's going on right now and yeah if if you can't tell i really like it too I, and, you know, I really think that they're pushing themselves at least a little bit. Granted, they can't do too much with just two guys, but having the horns on a few tracks definitely mixes it up a little bit, I think. For sure. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think uh, Scott Lucas has, has shown he's, he's both a, a film buff and he's got a 
big interest in Americana music. You know, the the name of this album is Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. It's taken from an old American folk song, which was also the name of an old Al Jolson musical movie. Um, Scott Lucas and the Married Men, uh, his his first album, um, George Lasses the Moon, was a reference to... Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Exactly. Um, so he's constantly weaving in these these sort of like references and whatnot, and I think his he's got this interesting... Uh, fascination right now going on with Americana music. He did the absolutely fantastic, I, I've already mentioned this song on the podcast before, um, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold Me Down, um, uh, which was on his uh, Blood Half Moon uh, Married Men album. Um, and now he's got this, which has Hallelujah, I'm a Bum, um, sort of, it's inspiration inside it again. So they're they're definitely growing and and pushing themselves. You got horns, which, like you said, hasn't really been a part of local age in the past. And you know they're they're a little more provocative too uh, than than they have been, uh, which is nice as well. Uh, not not necessarily just politics wise, but just you know they're they're taking a stand on on stuff a little more fiercely, I think, than than usual. Right. So. Uh, good, good record, I think. Uh, for the most part, we, we seem to agree on that. Yes, definitely. Yes, so definitely check it out. Local H, Hallelujah, I'm a Bum, available in stores and, you know, via your online retailers everywhere. Top five, top five, top five, oh yeah. Uh, now it's time for our top five list this week. We are talking about underseen and underrated movies that have come out so far in 2012. Uh, so it should hopefully be some interesting picks here. We're trying to be as expansive as possible and in including, you know, if you felt like a movie that only made a million dollars at the box office deserved to make 20 million, or if you felt feel like, uh, you know, critics hated Adam Sandler's That's My Boy, but it's an actually good movie. Uh, you know, all that stuff can be included here. So uh, let's start, Kevin. What's your number five pick? Okay, my number five. I You're going to notice that there's a bit of a uh, theme going on with my, my top five here. Um, it wasn't intentional. It just sort of has been how it is. And, and it's actually coming at an interesting time for me, but I'll, I'll explain that more once we get to number one. My number five is The Tall Man, which is just a little uh, movie that starred Jessica uh, Biel. It came out um, not too long ago. Uh, you can get it at um, Redbox and on Netflix right now. I don't know if it's on on demand on Netflix yet, but... Yeah, it is. It is? Okay. Um yeah, it's it's fantastic, and uh, I I never thought I would say it, but Jessica Biel, Biel whatever, um, puts in a, a very solid performance here. It's a horror movie about missing children, um, and uh, a mysterious creature or slash entity known as the Tall Man, um, which supposedly is abducting children in this small town. Uh, 
that's dying out because it's an old coal town. Um, it's spooky. It's understated. I did not expect it to be as good as it was. Um, I didn't hear anything about it. I don't even know if it was in the theaters, but it was definitely a surprise, and I recommend people checking it out. So that's my number five, The Tall Man. Interesting choice uh, to start. I had heard about it. I just, I guess, didn't have the inspiration to go see it. So maybe now I'll check it out. Uh, Reggie, what's your number five? Um, my number five is actually um, One for the Money. Um, it's it's based on um, a book by, I believe her name is Janet Ivanovich. Um, there's only a handful of recognizable people in it. Uh, Catherine Heigl plays the, the lead character. Uh, John Leguizamo's in it. So is Sherry Shepard. Um, it, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure it got universally panned. Um, and I'm, I, I'm not sure how much it made. Um, but I actually sat and watched it and it was, it was enjoyable. Like it wasn't as horrible as, as it had, uh, been made out to be. I, I really had, my expectations were pretty low and, and I, you know, I can't say I was disappointed at all. Um, but I, I, I dare say that, that I liked it. Um, you know, normally, uh, people, there's, there's a stigma with Catherine Heigl that, that just kind of, you know signifies that that whatever she's in is, is kind of like a chick flick kind of you know girl power type movie and and I can't say that this is different in that aspect but uh, it's about um, it's about a girl who loses her job and decides to become a bounty hunter um, which <laughs> which is interesting for a lot of reasons you know but um it uh, it actually had a lot of a lot of genuinely funny moments. Um, action, not so much. Um, characters were a little cardboard and one-dimensional, but you know, uh, wasn't. I can't say it was a complete waste of an hour and a half. So that's why it's number five on my list. Okay, interesting choice. Uh, my number five is your sister's sister. Uh, it is a film directed by Lynn Shelton, uh, who you may probably haven't heard of, uh, but Lynn <laughs> Shelton directed Hump Day, which was a great movie. She's also directed an episode of Mad Men, um, but she's she's been doing some great work, I think. I think she's one of the more promising directors out there these days. Uh, and Your Sister Sister stars Mark Duplass. Also, Rosemary DeWitt and Emily Blunt. The basic storyline is that Mark Duplass's brother, uh, his character's brother, died. And he's been going through a real rough patch since his brother died. And so his best friend, played by Emily Blunt, suggests that he go up to her father's cabin and spend some time there by himself and just sort of focus on you know, getting, him, getting his head right. And he shows up there, and wouldn't you know it, but Rosemary DeWitt happens to also be up there, who is the sister of his best friend, Emily Blunt. And so they sort of meet uh, just randomly because she's staying at the house, too. And what follows is what's basically a love triangle. Uh, but it's played out in a very interesting way. You get to know these characters. It's very well-structured. And great performances by all the actors involved. So, your sister's sister, I think, uh, 
was only out in a you know few handful of art house theaters and such. So I think it'll be out on DVD soon. So keep an eye out. I totally forgot about this this movie. I uh, I actually was looking forward to seeing it, and I totally forgot that it was a thing. I uh, have been following Lynn Shelton since uh, Hump Day, which was a surprising little film a few years back, also starring Mark Duplass. Yes, indeed. Uh, what's your number four, Kevin? My number four is a horror anthology called V slash H slash S. It's uh, interesting in its connection to uh, Lynn Shelton. It actually... Um, it's it's a sort of a, a vignette series of found footage uh, little short movies. Um, it has a connection to Lynn Shelton because it has a segment directed by Joe Swanberg, who is connected to Lynn Shelton in in that they both were sort of uh, connected to the mumblecore movement a few years back. Yes. Um, Swanberg is is most well known for his films uh, LOL and Kissing on the Mouth, which I thought were kind of exploitive in the fact that they they use actual sex sex scenes, like they, the actors were actually having sex in them to discuss movie or to to have movies that were about relationships and sexual relationships. Um, I didn't think the movies were bad. I just thought that the the aspects of it were a little bit exploitive. But that's me going off on a rant on, on Joe Swanberg. Here he shows a lot more promise, and, and I, I want to see more from him now. Um, and he he's teamed up with a, a few other um, filmmakers, uh, most notably to me, uh, Ty West, who uh, did the excellent... Um, House of the Devil. He also did Cabin Fever 2, uh, Spring Fever, which, aside mm. from a pretty amusing opening sequence, you could probably stay away from. Um, but The House of the Devil was an excellent film, and uh, it's it's a, a just a series of, of found footage films. I don't want to ruin too much about it, but um, you'd think that found footage would start to get tiring, but this, this movie sort of revives it a little bit. It gives it at least a little bit extra gasp of of oxygen of freshness okay good deal uh reggie what's your number four uh my number four is haywire um and that is for one reason only um i absolutely love gina carano and I have ever since uh she was on the uh the new version of american gladiators um, and I know that um, that a lot of people were talking about, oh, female females can't can't lead movies, can't lead action movies, and I, I think uh, that's pretty poignant because this year, like that 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 myth has kind of been shattered. Um, and I'd say more so with Hunger Games, but I think that this is the kind of movie that that I think should have broken that stigma. Um, and, uh, I mean, she's, I think she's an amazing athlete. Um, she's, she's all right as an actress, but I think in an action movie, you know, you're not really, (laughs) you're not really looking for Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman-esque chops 
you know, you really just want to see somebody get kicked in the face and, and there's a lot of face kicking. So I, uh, it's very competent face kicking. (laughs) So it's, it's interesting because, uh, it's directed by, uh, Steven Soderbergh who put out uh, a few movies. He did this as well as uh, magic Mike, which I would put on my list as, as underseen, but it actually did really well. Um, and I, it was it was pretty well respected by critics. So there there was just really no way that I could get it on my list. I, I thought Magic Mike was excellent, and Haywire was really good too. I was a little underwhelmed at the plot, though. I, I thought I, I I expected more from Lem Dobbs, who is the writer of it. He also did one of my absolute favorite movies, um, The Limey, a few years back. He also did the score, which is a really solid movie in Dark City. I mean, he's he's an excellent writer and. Haywire just it, it, it twisted and turned and had some interesting plot developments, but I was just never compelled by it as much as I wanted to be. But it is a good choice, though. I, I definitely approve of it. I I also agree. I liked Haywire quite a bit and might have actually put it on my list had I not had I had a sixth spot, possibly. Uh, but my number four pick is Celeste and Jesse Forever. Uh, this is a movie written by and starring Rashida Jones, who you may know from you know such films as uh, I Love You, Man, and uh, I don't know, a bunch of other stuff. She's, she's on good. The Office. Oh, she was on yeah, The Office. Yeah, she's on Parks and Rec. Yes, she's on that's, that's and Rec. right. Yes. Uh, but it stars her and Andy Samberg, who... I really have no respect for as an actor. <laughs> uh, I, I know he's a funny guy. He's been on SNL. I, I loved his work on SNL. I think he's great in comedies, but this is not so much a comedy. It is kind of a comedy. It's about a couple played by Andy Samberg and Rashida Jones who were married and they're now divorced. But in spite of the fact that they're divorced, they're also still spending so much time with each other. They're not like fighting. They're just like best friends still. And so it's sort of a fascinating, uh, look at life after marriage when the two people that, that have gotten divorced might not necessarily be the best, uh, best at, keeping away from one another uh the their relationship might not officially be done even though they've already called it done and over with uh but it's got some great supporting performances too there's some elijah wood eric christian olsen ari grainer all good stuff in there so by all means check that out if you haven't um it, it might be in some theater still but if not dvd soon enough I haven't got, yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to see that one yet. I've heard good things about it. Um, but my number, uh, we're on three now. Uh, appropriate follow-up to my last one. It's, it is The Innkeepers, which is uh, Ty West's um, feature film from this year. Uh, once again, this guy just, he gets what horror fan films want. Or horror film fans want. Yeah. That's right. Um, but it's got uh, Sarah Paxton and Kelly McGillis, of all people, who's I just thought was uh, totally 
left field choice. She she's uh, the actress you probably only remember from uh, Top Gun and Witness and maybe The Accused if you saw that one. Um, but she's been coming back and and here's The Innkeepers. It's uh much like his last film. It's it's a sort of throwback um, horror film. Uh, again, I can't. Can't do uh, reveal too much about it, but it's about a uh, a hotel that these um, are gonna. Yeah, it's, it's just I, I can't. I don't want to go into it too much, but yes, the innkeepers. Um, it's a ghost ghost film. I I saw the innkeepers, and I have to agree with you, Kevin. That is a very very good horror film. Uh, probably one of my favorite horror films of the year so far. Yeah. So I, I, I placed that on my list, not because, uh, it was underrated, but just because it was underseen. It's, it's definitely a movie that, uh, Oh yeah. Not enough people saw it. Yeah. Uh, and it's out on DVD now. So check that out. Yes. Uh, Reggie, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is actually um, American Reunion. Um, I know, Kevin, like you were saying, that um, that Local H always seems to come out with an album that's relevant to your life. Um, I kind of feel like American Pie has always <laughs> been able to uh, come out with a, with a relevant uh, movie. I mean, you know, we're all kind of, well, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but when, um, like the original American Pie, like that wasn't quite what was going on in my life, but you know, but then right after that was after a year of school and I had just finished a year of school when that movie came out, then of course American Wedding and then now American Reunion where it's, you know, it's, it's, we just had the episode, well, we didn't just have it, but we had the episode where we talked about reunions and getting back together after a certain amount of time. And hey, now they come out with a movie that deals with just that, and it was really nice to actually have everybody back. Um, say what you will about Chris Klein as an actor, but I kind of felt like the dynamic <laughs> wasn't quite the same without him there. And um, uh, it, I mean, it was very self-aware. It was very, um, very much more of the more of the same but that isn't necessarily bad to me you know um i i love those characters it, it's nice to see them not not necessarily age or mature <laughs> but just see how they see how they adapt in uh as the years have passed so i i really liked it um i don't think it was like a phenomenal runaway success so that's why i threw it on the list because I, I really liked it, and I don't know if a lot of people saw it, but I think a lot of people should. So, American Reunion, number three. Yeah, you know, it wasn't actually that big of a success, which disappointed me, because it is actually a really good movie. I thought, at least. Um, I have not seen it. I haven't seen any of the uh, movies past the second one, so... Oh, yeah. Uh, it's definitely probably, uh, of the American Pie, there's now five official films not not those side ones that were like you know 
Beta House and whatever else. The Naked Mile and all that garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't throw those in with, with the actual American Pie series. But of that series, I would probably rank it probably second. Uh, American Reunion, at least. So it's good stuff and definitely worth seeing, especially if you liked any of the American Pie movies, I think. Uh, all right, so my number three pick is Bernie. Uh, now, Bernie is a film that's directed by Richard Linklater, who you may know directed Dazed and Confused. He also did Before Sunrise, Before Sunset. It's School of Rock, uh, Waking Life, Scanner Darkly, that sort of stuff. But what's fascinating to me about Bernie in particular is it's a story of a small town, a, a mortician working in small town in Texas. And he is this really super nice guy, makes friends with everybody in the village. He goes around, you know, gives these great, you know, speeches at funerals he sings in the choir he does everything that he can for everybody that he can and people in town come to love this guy bernie and it's a true story uh where bernie actually winds up killing an old woman uh that lived in the town a woman that was hated by everyone in the town he he, he does it and there are reasons why he does it um, and it's a whole thing that gets into the plot of the film. But what's fascinating to me is that because it is a true story, uh, they have most of the people that live in the town that actually knew the real Bernie talking about Bernie and their experience with Bernie. And Bernie is played in the film by Jack Black in probably one of his best performances, I think, ever. Uh, the old woman that he kills is played by Shirley MacLaine, who does a great job. And uh, the the sort of lead prosecutor taking Bernie to court is played by Matthew McConaughey. But for the most part, almost the entire cast is made up of real-life village people that live in this village in Texas that knew Bernie and talk about Bernie and interact with Bernie and Jack Black's character. And it's sort of a documentary style film but it's all you know acting and and some of it's not scripted some of it is scripted but it's very entertaining and very good i, I was pleasantly surprised by it i i definitely have been meaning to check this one out um i've been hearing a lot of really great things about it um i'm a big fan of uh pretty much everybody involved and how about Matthew McConaughey? He's been having one hell of a year this year. Like oh, he's, yeah. He's done this. He did uh, Magic Mike. He was in uh, Killer Joe uh, last year, but that's sort of come out this year. Um, he's just – he's rocking. He's doing some great work. Yeah. What, what's uh, your number two, Kevin? My number two, and you, you may have noticed that there's a bit of a theme going on with mine. Um, they've, they've all been – Horror. Perhaps yes. Uh, so, so my number two on the same level, uh, or on the same uh, path, I guess. Maybe in a slightly different direction. Paranorman. It's a uh, stop motion animated film from uh, just a couple months back. Um, it was done by uh, uh, 
Chris Butler and Sam Fell, who they they did uh, uh, the art on some prior Tim Burton films, um, Corpse Bride and Coraline. Um, so this is their first like big film. It's got a really interesting cast. It's got um, Cody Smith McPhee as Norman, who's sort of an awkward kid who's really into horror films and classic horror films. Um, but he was also in The Road and Let Me In. Um, some really fantastic performances in both of those. Um, and you got Anna Kendrick and Casey Affleck uh, and Christopher Mintz Plassey, uh, McLovin. Um, all are, are in it, as well as Jeff Garland and John Goodman. Um, so it's got an excellent cast. It's got just constant references and callbacks to classic horror films. Um, we left, and I mean, it, it, it's got an excellent story. The the, the um, before I get too far there, it's got an excellent story, and I'll definitely say the end of the movie um, got a little dusty in the theater. Got a little dusty, uh, and. Uh, as I left, I, I, I looked over at uh, Lindsay and I, I told her, I was like, you know, if I was 12 years old, this would be one of my favorite movies of all time. Just because it, it's it got all the, the things that I love. It's got zombies. It's got callbacks to horror movies. It's got a weird kid who sees dead people. I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> that sounds awesome. Indeed. And, and, you know, it, didn't do as well as I thought it would. So it really didn't, and it's it's been quite a year for dark, uh, paranormal inspired um, films. You got Paranorman. You've got uh, Hotel Transylvania coming out. You've got um, Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie coming out. It's been really a fantastic year for uh, these these cartoon stop motion animated features or CGI type features. Um, but yeah, this is my number two, and I was really disappointed it didn't do better. All right, Reggie, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is actually John Carter. Um, I know there was a lot of a lot of hubbub, a lot of fuss about it, um, just because it cost so much money and it didn't make a lot of it back. Um, so a lot of people, I mean, it came in like the new joke in Hollywood as far as. Um, uh, about nobody going to the movies and, and failures and blah, blah, blah. But, um, it's, it's based on, uh, it's like one of the oldest science fiction stories. Um, it's, it was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, it's about a, um, a Confederate soldier, a former Confederate soldier who is magically whisked away to Mars where he, uh, he fits in with the culture and the, the four-armed, super tall, crazy Martians, and you know, uh, and, and the humans that live there as well. I'm not going to get into too much. Um, bottom line is the story is really good. Um, the visuals are absolutely amazing. It was actually directed by um, Andrew Stanton, who directed Finding Nemo. It was his first um, live-action feature, and um, it, it was a really good movie. I mean, it was it was a little. Um, a little long, and I think that might have been what uh, what deterred a lot of people. You really had to pay attention. You really had to know what was going on. Um, 
but it was a it was a fantastic movie. It was very good. Um, and they kind of set it up for a sequel, and that kind of just agitated me because I'd love to see another one, but <laughs> considering how much money they lost, um, they're they're most likely not going to go that route. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, from what I understand, the the John Carter series is probably dead. But I did also see it, and I thought that it didn't deserve the reputation that it got uh, oh. for being a bad film. I'm going to chime better, in. Better than I thought, Kevin. Yeah, I, I'm going to chime in and say that I, I agree with you both. Uh, certainly does not deserve the reputation that it, it got. It's a really solid little action film. Um, should definitely... It's sad to not see it uh, living on. I think it's it's something of a cursed uh, property, though. I mean, way back in the day, they were going to do a... Uh, a movie that was going to be done by um, an old animator uh, of Looney Tunes, of the Merry Melodies, and I don't remember, I can't remember off the top of my head which which director. I'll we'll throw it in the show notes. But um, he was going to do a animated slash live action version of it, and that didn't work out. I believe everybody and their mother's been touching it at one point. And, time including robert rodriguez was going to do his own version um but yeah very disappointing it didn't do better yes and it's been a bad year overall for uh for tim riggins <laughs> yeah uh, and by by tim riggins i mean uh what's his name taylor kitsch he can't catch a break oh yeah but yeah he was in battleship right yep. yeah yeah <laughs> and, and savages which was actually also a really good movie but didn't do well um, all right, so my number two pick is a movie that I've actually mentioned on the show before. Uh, it's The Raid Redemption. Uh, it's an Indonesian film written and directed by the Welsh Gareth Evans, who I think is proves himself to be one of the uh, great action film directors solely based on this movie. Uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to do next. I'm already hearing there's probably going to be an English-American version of the film that he might also direct. But mainly, you, you're not going to recognize any of the actors in this unless you're really familiar with foreign films. But the the main point, uh, because it is a foreign film, it wasn't really seen by that many people in America and I think it is the best action film of the year, so far at least. And there are just some incredible scenes in this movie of just, oh, I, I can't even really get into it. But there's martial arts, there's gunplay, there's swordplay, there's whatever you could ask for in a movie. And, it, you know, the basic plot line is this team of policemen go rushing into this tall sky, skyscraper-like building that's run by a crime lord and is filled with criminals. And their goal is to unseat this crime lord from his penthouse apartment and uh, get him out of the business and, and clean up the streets a little bit as a result. And things go wrong and people get into fights and it's an incredible... Incredible action film that 
I think everybody needs to see if if you like action. Indeed, and in fact, uh, the recent Dread movie uh, was compared a lot to that movie, purely on the basis of the staging. You know, all set in uh, a singular location. You know, sort of fighting. Up. Yeah, they got to go up to the top level of a building and fight their way up because it's full of criminals. Similar plot, yes. And, and by the way, Dread got great reviews. I'm surprised. It did. It, get, it got great reviews and did terrible in, in uh, the box office. Yes. Kevin, Which I'm, your... not surpri- I'm not surprised by that part. <laughs> but Yeah, that's true. I'm not either. Uh, but what's your number one, Kevin? My number one, um, and it's just going to top off my list here, uh, Cabin in the Woods. And this is the uh, uh, Joss Whedon-written film directed by Drew Goddard. Um, It's a sort of pastiche of horror films. Uh, It's another one of the movies on my list. Like, it's it's hard for me to talk about a lot of these, these films because there's so much that you just give away in the experience by, by talking about it too much. But it's basically your, your archetypical uh, horror movie about five friends going to a cabin in the woods and people start dying. Um, but there's so much more. It's a, been called a very meta movie. Uh, it's got uh, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford in just two Fantastic performances. I love Bradley Whitford in this movie, and Richard Jenkins loving anything. Um, it's got Chris Hemsworth, uh, and and this movie is kind of cheating even to have it on here because this this movie was was shot back in I believe two thousand eight. It's like been it. a couple of years. Yeah, it it was released in film festivals last year. But it didn't really get released until I believe February of this year, and um, but it's it's fantastic. It's you know people are going to be like, oh, it's post scream. Well, this is post post scream. This is got uh, uh, influences by the Evil Dead, Scream, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, I mean, it, it just got, throws everything and the kitchen sink into this movie. And it's funny and smart and it's fantastic. And it, it, it proves that you have a well-likable character um, in a horror film. The audiences are going to root for them, even if that character turns out to be, like, obvious uh, uh, shark bait, basically. Yes, and you know, Kevin, I completely agree with you. I was actually going to put Cabin in the Woods on my list, but I figured that you probably would. <laughs> well, and and it, it's almost again, you know, it's it's not uh, a great choice because it's actually getting really good uh, rental, um, you know, income. It's it's, and, it's and doing it did really well, well, pretty well at the box office too. I think. Uh, I don't think it did as well no, I don't as, think it did. as as it was hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it only made well, I made like a, a total worldwide uh, gross of about sixty grand, 
or 60 million, 60 grand would be terrible. <laughs> uh, but it's opening weekend was pretty, pretty lacking. Um, and I don't know if it's been seen as a bomb, but it's definitely not been seen as like a runaway success. Yeah. And in, in any case, it, it, it can't be seen enough. So not, not bad for a film that was sitting on a shelf for a couple of years. Exactly. Reggie, how about your number one? Um, my number one movie was Cabin in the Woods. Um, I had been meaning to see it for a really long time. Um, and uh, I, I had a day off and I rented it just because I, you know, I didn't want to wait for Netflix. I, didn't, I, I just needed to see it. And um, I watched it. I loved it. I loved it so much that a few hours later I sat and watched the entire thing again. Um within <laughs> within the span of the same day just because um a lot of things that i had heard about it was like the tip of the iceberg um once once things kind of get below the surface in the movie that's the part i really liked um and i, I it was it was almost like two fantastic horror movies sewn into like one mind blowing one altogether and and that's what i absolutely Loved about it, um, so I'm not going to say anything else because, <laughs> Kevin, you brought up a lot of good points about it. So, um, Cabin in the Woods is my number one. Awesome. Good choice. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, my number one is Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, this is a film by first-time director Colin Trevorrow. And uh, it stars Aubrey Plaza, who you may know from Parks and Rec. Uh, she was also in Funny People. She's been in some other stuff, too. Uh, Jake Johnson is also in it. You may know him from New Girl. He plays the role of... Oh, what is it on New Girl? Oh, he plays Nick on New Girl. That's right. Uh, and also... Mark Duplass. Second time Mark Duplass has made an appearance on my list. Uh, but the film is intriguing because it is about a newspaper reporter and a couple interns who go out to this small town after reading an ad in a newspaper that basically says wanted somebody to travel back in time with me. This is not a joke. I've done this only once before. Bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. Uh, and so they go to find the person that put this ad in the paper and figure out what his deal is and whether or not he truly can travel through time. And so it's a fascinating sort of character study. And you get as you get to learn more about these characters and about this guy that supposedly has traveled through time before you really start to get emotionally invested in and, and almost hope that there actually is some sort of time travel element that that's going to take place. And I'm not going to reveal what happens, but I will say that it is extremely well acted by everyone involved. And uh, the plot is fascinating. And I think that not nearly enough people saw it. Uh, and so Look it up if you have the chance. Uh, it'll probably be on DVD soon. I've been waiting for this one to come out on DVD, in fact, because 
I it's it's been one of my top most anticipated films of the year. I wasn't able to catch it in theaters when it was out because it didn't have a very wide release. Um, but yeah, there's and, and the, the the best part about this movie, I think, is just as, from from an outsider's perspective, is that it's actually based on a true story. Now, how much of it is embellished and fictionalized and realistic and and God's honest truth, you know, that's for the viewers to decide. But I I've been looking forward to this one and I can't wait to see it myself and correct my underseeing it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh make sure you check that one out, both you, Kevin, and anybody else that's listening. Uh comes with my personal guarantee of enjoyment. Alright. The film may be safety not guaranteed, but it's a guaranteed good time. Yes, indeed. All right. So that puts a wrap on uh, this week's show. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Reggie. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. It's been a delight. Uh, We'll catch everybody next time where we'll talk about more stuff and all that great stuff. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Have fun with your Mexican food. (laughs) 